Hi there. My name is Dr. Pragenta, and I'm the host of the Dr. Nurse Podcast. I'm an advanced nurse practitioner, and I want to be your guide into the world of nursing professions. This podcast is a platform for nurses to share their journeys as they made their way in the diverse field of nursing as either entrepreneurs, academia, private practice, or even the corporate world. I think we should celebrate just how diverse the field of nursing is through mentoring one another with the stories of our career journeys. Nothing is too mundane because each journey is unique. This podcast will showcase career options to encourage nurses to view their degrees with a business mindset. After all, we work in the healthcare business. And ultimately, I hope I might inspire you to make a change if you're looking for something different. I am motivated to see you live your best nursing life, and that looks different for everyone. Thanks for joining me on today's podcast, and let's get started with today's guest. Hey guys, this week on the podcast, I have Christina Chamberlain. She is a certified nurse midwife, as well as a lactation consultant. She graduated from the University of Washington's midwifery program in 2005, and at the same time, became an international board-certified lactation consultant. She has a certification as a nurse midwife as well as a women's health nurse practitioner. She has focused her career on lactation and breastfeeding medicine. She believes that breastfeeding success is directly tied to the support a mother receives and that everyone should have access to a lactation consultant. Therefore, she's currently the clinical and lead faculty at UC San Diego Extension Lactation Program. She is translating her passion into teaching future lactation consultants. Listen as she shares her journey from business owner to now working in the academic arena. Hi, Christina. Welcome to the Dr. Nurse Podcast. So glad to have you on today. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to be here. Let's get started. Why did you choose the field of nursing? It's kind of a career change for me. I had been volunteering in women's health probably since the age of 19. And at the time, my job was basically working with women in the community. And I loved it, but it seemed really far-fetched to make any kind of women's health decision a career choice. Um, because I had never been somebody who loved math and science. I was more of an arts person. And then just the more I volunteered, you know, I left college and I moved to Chicago and I still kept volunteering in some kind of women's health capacity. And finally, when I was, I think about 27, I decided to make the change. I had been working as a theater producer and again, volunteering, and then just thought, I'm going to make a career change. And I went back to school Uh, for nursing school uh, with the goal of actually being a certified nurse midwife. So I went straight from pretty quickly nursing school to graduate school in the midwifery department. How did you get to the career path that you're on today as a lactation program, faculty director, clinical director? Once I was in midwifery school, I felt very honored to be at all the births that I was at. And I loved being, again, at that really special time in somebody's life. But in midwifery school, I felt like I was really only working with pregnant people, and I had come from volunteering more in gynecology, and I kind of missed working with different people, different ages, different health issues, and I kind of quickly figured out I probably didn't want to necessarily just do full-scope midwifery, pregnancy, and birthing babies as my only kind of job duty. And I thought if I want to stay in 
the mother baby world, but I want to do gynecology too. How can I kind of merge those two areas? And that's when I, I found out that there was this thing called a lactation consultant. I didn't know about it beforehand. And I had a really awesome mentor at the hospital where I was working and she really encouraged me, took me under her wing and I got all of my hours and did all of my education towards becoming an international board certified lactation consultant. And for me, I felt like focusing on that credential at the time was a way for me to be able to stay in the mom baby world without necessarily doing births. I did not anticipate it to be my clinical focus, to be honest. I just thought it was like something extra I could offer my clients. But the universe kind of kept throwing this lactation in my direction every career turn. And it just kind of became what it is on its own. It wasn't necessarily a really thought out plan. So I know that you're an international board certified lactation consultant. I know you went to midwifery school and that you're a, a woman's health nurse practitioner. How did you get to be a lactation consultant? What certification did you did you obtain to get that role? So to be an international board certified lactation consultant, that actually is its own certification credential. That's the IBCLC behind my name. And in order to become an IBCLC, depending on which pathway you choose, you have to do 95 hours of lactation-specific education, didactic education, as well as a certain number of clinical hours where you're directly working with breastfeeding dyads. And so again, depending on what type of program or what pathway you choose, it's either 300, 500, or 1,000 clinical hours. So I had done all of that while I was in graduate school so that when I was done with with graduate school, I was also able to sit for the exam for the IBCLC certification exam. That's incredible. How did you know, I guess you kind of touched on that, whenever you were in your clinical experience, you were exposed to a lactation consultant? Right. So as a nurse, I worked mostly in the mother baby unit or postpartum unit. And I worked at a hospital that had five lactation consultants on staff. So not only was I really kind of thinking, how can I bring mother baby into women's health if I'm not doing births, but I also, as a postpartum nurse, the majority of my clinical experience was working with breastfeeding, right? I mean, that's what you're doing postpartum is you're breastfeeding this new baby. And so a lot of my day-to-day was just helping people breastfeed, learn to breastfeed, educate about breastfeed. And I didn't have any children at the time. I had not breastfed anybody before this. And I just thought, wow, this is just, it just makes sense. We should all be breastfeeding. And I'm kind of surprised that it's not better supported or better done because it very quickly, I started to figure out that if people had support, they were more successful at breastfeeding. So it actually really um, kind of felt like a a real call to public health. Like if we all can get our babies breastfed or breast milk, then we're all going to be healthier people. And so that's where kind of the passion towards breastfeeding came about. And then throughout my career, I just felt like that theory was really proven over and over again. You know, I have friends now who have children, either adult children or in high school or much older And that when they find out that I work with breastfeeding dyads, they tell me, oh, I wish I had met you when I had babies because I, you know, I just didn't have enough milk for my baby. And I think that's probably not true. There are definitely some situations where 
women don't make enough milk for whatever reason, if there's a true physiological issue going on. But most of the time, it's that people don't have the support they need to breastfeed. We don't really, a lot of people don't have access to lactation consultants. They don't know that that's a thing. We don't support breastfeeding in the America. We don't have long parental leaves, maternity leaves. We don't always support pumping in the workplace. So we don't really create a cocoon of support around breastfeeding success. My job as a lactation consultant, it really is to provide that support. And I have just seen over and over the difference. If somebody has support, they're much more successful. And even if they don't necessarily have the breastfeeding experience that they want, they feel better about it because they get to kind of define what breastfeeding is for them. I I would just like to share that during my birth of my son at the hospital, we saw a lactation consultant. And I just remember how beneficial she was at helping me with latch. You're so right. When you're supported after you have this baby, they don't come out with a manual. Nobody tells you how to feed a kid. That lactation consultant is there. She really does help calm the storm. Well, and you know, I love being a lactation consultant, but to be honest, I don't think there we should need lactation consultants. I mean, it used to be that new parents learned how to breastfeed because they had their own mothers or aunts or sisters or other community members who would support them. And they would see breastfeeding in the community. They would see their family members breastfeed and they kind of would get that support within their inner circle. But we, one, don't live like that anymore, right? Most of us don't live near the grandparents. So we don't have that kind of support. We also don't um, see breastfeeding people in public. It's kind of been shamed in America and a lot of places to breastfeed. It is legal now in all 50 states. Nobody can be asked to leave because they're breastfeeding in public. But there's still kind of this stigma around it in some areas. And so a lot of times the people that I work with, the first time they really see a baby breastfeed is when they're breastfeeding their own baby. Of course, it's new and scary and interesting and weird and wonderful and all of that. And if it's your first time, there's just this learning curve that's so much bigger than if you had already seen it happen in your community or already kind of normalized it in your own little inner circle or your world. And we just unfortunately don't live like that anymore. I I completely agree that if we were being exposed to, I just think the whole pregnancy birth process, I think a lot, there'd be a lot less shock in that, in that hurricane storm. This is insane. I don't know how to process everything that's going on type mentality. And so I think for myself, one of the things that I do with my friends is I just give them like the raw, like truth of it, of like, Hey, this is my experience. And I think sharing your experience with others is so pivotal for feeling less overwhelmed. Uh, I think, and I'll just kind of add a like a little side note, like all my friends that had babies naturally, they were like, oh, this was so awesome. Let me tell you, like they did share their stories about having babies naturally, but none of my friends that had C-section shared their stories. And so I remember when I was having my C-section, I had no idea what to expect. Mm -hmm. And now I share my C-section journey. And I think there's a lot of shame around 
C-sections and Mm. women really struggle to be like, oh, my body failed me. And in a way, like that shame keeps us from sharing. And it could be the same, almost like what you were describing with breastfeeding, that they're like, I didn't make enough milk. I didn't. So there's almost the shame that women carry that then they end up not sharing. So then you end up not giving back and more women kind of get in that same cycle of like, there must be something wrong with me. And it's like, no, we're yeah. all struggling. There's also a lot of, you know, in the lactation world, I think it's really interesting because people can get really defensive around the topic of lactation, depending on their personal experience. I have seen where people think, I don't want to breastfeed, or I don't want some lactation consultant forcing me to breastfeed. And, you know, want to work harder than the parent at breastfeeding. So if somebody doesn't want to breastfeed, I'm not going to work harder than them to talk them into it for sure. But I think also it's hard for some people because like you're saying that shame of not being able to breastfeed again for whatever reason. And so lactation consultants are sometimes hesitant to talk about when formula is necessary. And people don't necessarily think that lactation consultants, I kind of think of us as really infant feeding that, that's our that's what we're working towards infant feeding and preferably because we're human babies we should get human breast milk that's our species food du jour right that's what we should be yeah. feeding our babies but if human breast milk is not available then thank goodness we have formula I mean I kind of think of formula as medicine and I think most of us do kind of think of it that way it's necessary when it's necessary just like any other medication would be but if it's not and the parent wants to breastfeed, then let's figure out a way. Let's support this person. And it might be hard in the beginning, but I have seen lots of people who struggle, myself included, for the first few weeks, but end up having a really lovely breastfeeding journey. And again, I think it really all boils down to what kind of support, because it is hard. Just like, you know, we need support in raising our children and that's easier when we have support. So, so is breastfeeding. So for the nurses that are listening and are thinking about, you know, a career change, doing something different, when they think about a lactation consultant, at what point in your career did you start to feel proficient in what you were doing? Well, I started off as a lactation consultant when I was already a a CNM, a midwife. So I could bring all of that into my midwifery role, but I also moonlighted at the time I did a few hours every month just as a floor lactation consultant. So I became really proficient first at newborn feeding. And because, you know, when you're in the hospital, really, you're seeing babies zero to three days old, mostly. So I got really good at newborn. And then when I decided to venture out on my own and I started seeing older babies at first, it really, it really freaked me out, to be honest. I was like, oh, my God, you're eight weeks old. I don't know what to do with you. You're huge. And because I was so used to these little tiny newborns. And so that actually was a bigger curve for me because I had so much experience working in the hospital with those new babies that when I ventured on my own, I had to start really kind of relearning and teaching myself how things are different with older babies. And I would say as far as proficiency with older kiddos, you know, it's just how a volume, like where are you working? How many babies are you seeing? Because that's going to help you get proficient faster. When I started my practice, so my my private practice has had kind of, I think of it in three stages. And when I first decided I wanted to venture out into private practice, I initially only did home visit lactation consulting. 
So there were a couple of out of hospital midwifery practices in my area. They would deliver, they would do baby, deliver babies either in the birth center, an out of hospital birth center or at home. And so I was friends with some of them and I said, Hey, I'll, I'll be the lactation consultant for your clients. If you need anybody, just give them my number and I'll do home visits. So I didn't really advertise because mostly I was still working my regular job. And I also kind of wanted to just see if I liked home visits, if that was something that I really wanted to expand on, if I could do it. So they kept me busy enough that I had a really good sense of what a home visit was like. I enjoyed doing them and it made me feel more confident in kind of hanging out my shingle as a lactation consultant and spreading the word that my services were available. So I did home visits for probably two years and I, you know, home visits are really hit or miss. Some weeks I would have two clients and other weeks I would have five clients, which was really busy because again, I have kids and I was working my other job. So I kept it pretty small on purpose. But when I was ready to think maybe I would venture out, I didn't actively look for that opportunity. It kind of fell into my lap. One of the offices that was sharing the building with this birth center was a naturopathic practice and they had an opening. They had a room to rent. And somebody said, would you like to rent the room? You can do gynecology, you can do lactation, whatever you want. And it was perfect. It was exactly what I was looking for without even realizing I was looking for it. So I uh, rented that room and started my own practice where people, I stopped doing home visits. So people would have to come to me. And I did do gynecology as well as lactation and because I'm an advanced, so I live in Washington state, we don't have to have a practice agreement. I can be an independent provider. So I had my own contracts with all of the insurance companies and most people were finding me by word of mouth, but every once in a while, somebody would find me through their insurance. And I actually thought that I was going to be doing a ton of gynecology and I would probably see a few lactation clients, you know, if the midwives referred them to me, because I felt like most people probably really wanted the lactation consultant to come to their house. You know, that's where you're comfortable. You're freshly postpartum. Who wants to schlep over to the clinic with their newborn baby, right? Well, I was totally wrong. So again, that's how I, I just want to make clear. It wasn't really a thought out plan. It just kind of happened because I only, I did see gynecologic gynecology visits, but definitely that was not the majority. The majority were lactation clients. And I was really surprised by that. And I think it's because I took insurance. And when you do home visits, people have to pay out of pocket, or at least back then it was even more so nobody was paying for home visits. And so people would have to submit my super bill to their insurance in hopes that they would get reimbursed. But if they come to my office, I can charge their insurance. And so for them, it's either a copay or, or, you know, if they have a deductible, but usually it's just a copay or nothing. And that's what really appealed to people. So I think the fact that I took insurance really was the key in how my lactation practice took off because by the end of, I, I don't have my private practice anymore. I can talk about kind of the end of that, but during my private practice time, it got to a point where I would say, 70 to 80% of my clients were all lactation. Wow. Mm -hmm. That just goes to show you the need, right? Like you ended up tailoring your practice to 
what the community needed around you. Yes. And in I, my area, I was the only lactation consultant in private practice who would take insurance. So that was a niche that was being filled. And that's, I think, definitely what helped me in the beginning. And then I also got trained to perform phrenotomies, which is the procedure to correct when a baby has ankyloglossia or tongue tie. And I was the only one in my area who did that as well. And so I really do feel like if I became much more niche than I anticipated, to be honest, <laughs> but I think it's because that is the niche that really needed to be filled in my community, like you said. And, and it wasn't, again, something that I kind of realized. It, it took me by surprise as well. Going back, and I, I'm kind of tracking through your story, and it's incredible to hear how you found your niche, you were able to make a successful business, you know, you ended up ending your business. Why, why did you end up closing down your business and moving kind of more into the educational setting that you're in now? Sure. So I rented, like I mentioned, I rented a room in another provider's practice, which was really great because it's, that's lower overhead. So you, you'll kind of see a trend. My overhead <laughs> increased with each step in my practice, which I think is kind of the the tale of the story, kind of the moral of the story is overhead, overhead, overhead. But when I was renting a room, it was definitely more overhead than doing home visits, but it also allowed me more volume and more business. So it still worked out. I made a great profit and it worked for me. Then when I got, I was probably renting that room for, I think three years. I stayed in that place and I felt like I was ready to get bigger. I just felt like I was really limited. I couldn't work as many days. It just, the, the front office wasn't my front office receptionist. It was this clinics, but she answered questions and saw my clients before and after for me. It just felt like I was always kind of beholden to what their rules were, their clinic flow. And I was just kind of in the corner. And I just felt like I could really expand if I had my own place. And again, serendipitously at about that time, Somebody introduced me to another midwife who is moving to the area who is also looking to set up a private practice. And she and I hit it off and we found a facility so that we could rent and have our own clinic, so to speak. And it was really great. We had enough rooms that we could sublease. So, so then I started subleasing some of the rooms to complementary providers and we really felt like our clinic was kind of a one-stop shop for women's health. We provided gynecology. We did some fertility. We provided breastfeeding medicine. And then we also had an acupuncturist, a massage therapist who also did cranial sacral therapy, which was definitely something that our clients wanted for their infants. For And that helps with breastfeeding. I can get into that later if you want. But we just, and then we had a mental health therapist there for a little while as well. So we felt like we were really trying to create a women's health center that really supported people during their specifically pregnancy and postpartum, but we saw people even beyond that for different issues. But that's really kind of what we wanted to create for our clinic. And we were there filling a niche and it was really awesome. And I felt like I was really proud of what we did because we, you know, people would say to us, like, I feel so welcomed here. I feel so relaxed here. I feel like I know I'm being taken care of because especially that it was one stop shop. They felt like they didn't have to go and see a bunch of different providers for different issues. They could just come and hang out with us and see whoever they needed for whatever they needed. 
but the the downside was we had a 1400 square foot facility now and that created a lot more overhead and for a while that was really okay we were able to cover our costs and make profit still so we were we were really doing very well and our last year in business though that niche was starting to be created or filled by other providers i think we were really the first ones to offer what we did and then other providers started to catch on at how how profitable it could be to fill that niche as well. And so we started having more competition. competition. And I think yeah. some competition is great. I, I definitely don't shy away from competition. But competition is hard when you're that niche because there are only so many people who are kind of looking for that particular thing. You know what I mean? It's not mainstream and... So there are only so many clients that we could have. And at the same time, I will say we started having issues with one of our billers that were creating some financial issues. So the reason we closed our practice was not just for one reason. It was kind of, again, another hurricane, the business hurricane. It was like a few <laughs> different things happening all at once. And we just felt like it would take a lot. My partner and I kind of felt like we can get out of this, but it's going to take a really big pivot and we kind of weren't ready for that. And we weren't in the red yet. And we kind of felt like we needed to get out before. Yeah, get out before we got into the red. So so it was our decision to end. But, you know, if, if it weren't for all of those things happening, we probably would have still been in business. Gotcha. How would you say that your education helped you achieve your goals? Do you think that, you know, if you would have had an MBA would that have helped you keep your MBA, your, your business going? Well, my, my partner and I used to, because neither one of us has an MBA, and we used to always joke that we had our MBA from the School of Hard Knocks because <laughs> we, we learned things based on our mistakes. That's how we got our education. Yeah. Um, I definitely think, I, I don't know if every nurse practitioner who wants to be in business needs to get an MBA. I certainly, I'm sure the people who have an MBA, it helps. I do think there are other ways to get some of that business acumen. You know, we, when I was starting off, even when I was by myself solo, I would contact SCORE, which is the um, small business community. I think each state does have a small business office through the state. And a lot of times they will have volunteers who are retired business people or retired entrepreneurs. And they will set up just informational meetings with you. And so when I first started off and I was by myself, I brought in my business plan and had them review, had this retired person. He used to be um, an accountant and he would review it for me. And he was somebody that I asked initially. They do have a lot of free classes. They definitely want to help young entrepreneurs or new entrepreneurs. So I would encourage people to look into what the small business office of their state provides. I think that can be a really low cost, but yet effective way of learning some of those business ideas. The things that we don't learn in nursing school that would help us if we're trying to be independent providers kind of work by ourselves. And I also, Uh, I also, you know, definitely try to learn from other people's experiences. So I would read books or I would read blogs about business um, owners, nurse practitioner, business owners. There is an organization called Nurse Practitioner business owners. They have a great blog. They have classes. She offers classes now. I'm sorry, I'm blanking on her name, Barbara something, but she's awesome. 
And I would, anybody who's interested, I would look them up. She offers classes on how to start a business. And in the beginning, I, I referred to her as a resource a lot. That's good. For nurses that are starting their career and are thinking about, you know, they haven't had much exposure to lactation consultants in school. I did not. I can only speak for myself, but I know that, I mean, in majority, a lot of the nurses that I, I know and the programs that they went to, it's not something that we're really exposed to. Mm -hmm. And I guess this is kind of something that might make you think a little bit, but how would you sell your role to a new nurse or a seasoned nurse thinking about a career change who is identifying with some of the things that you're saying? I was really passionate about women's health. I was really passionate about public health. How would you sell, sell the role to someone that was thinking about it? Well, I agree with you. It's not in our education. I mean, I, I always knew I wanted to have a private practice at some point in my career. That's something that was always in the back of my mind. And I presented that to the chair of my department when I was in grad school, because I was trying to get her to put me in clinical sites that would give me that kind of information or education. And at the time she said, you know, Christina, you're not like most midwifery. Nobody wants to have their private practice. That's not typical. You usually, you know, you turn in your resume or you know somebody and you get a job at a hospital-based practice. And I knew that that probably wasn't where I wanted to be anyway. So I agree that it is definitely not a part of most programs. And I think that if somebody is interested though, I mean, I think I have had lots of people, I will tell you, I have had people ask me like, I want to do in a private practice. And I remember one time, one time a young midwife she, you know, wanted an informational sort of interview, just pick my brain, because she was thinking about having a private practice. And I asked her why she wanted to have the practice. And she said, Well, you know, I'm having trouble finding a job. And so I thought, I'll create one for myself. And I think that's definitely a viable reason to open up a private practice, you know, but I think that in, for that to really work, you have to know really what you want to do in your practice, not just rent a space and open up shop. Because having a private practice, while I think it's extremely rewarding, it's one of the things I'm most proud of in my life, but it's not easy. And it's very stressful. I was charting at nine o'clock at night after I put my kids to bed when they were younger, I was definitely answering calls and on the weekends and so how many hours a week? Employees, and that's its own headache sometimes. So having a private practice, depending on how small or big, it's it's definitely not easy. And so I always tell people, if you go into private practice, it's because there is a real reason that the idea of a private practice resonates with you. For my partner and I, we had very personal reasons for wanting a private practice. And this particular person she didn't seem to me to really have that kind of passion. It was more like, well, I got to pay the bills and I can't find a job. So I'm going to, so again, I think that's a, a good reason, but there, I think there has to be more. Otherwise private practice is going to be more than that person probably bargained for. Exactly. How many hours a week did you work? Well, we, so I would see clients at the time, I would see clients three to four days a week. And then we would try to have at least one day for our admin. So that was the day that we went through our accounting situation. We would kind of go through our accounting or we would have meetings about marketing strategies or we would try to just do all, I would have to call back all these insurance companies. That takes up a lot of time. That actually started taking up more and more time. 
than when I first started. I think there have been a lot of changes in insurance over the years. And definitely I could see that more because I was in private practice dealing with them directly. But we try to set aside at least one day a week for us to have kind of a a business day to just go through all of that. So we didn't lose anything or didn't fall behind on anything for the business part of it. Sure. How did you keep a work-life balance as being at your job, coming home, like you said, doing notes, accounting, and even in your current role, do you feel like you have more work-life balance? I will say that for me personally, one of the reasons I did want to have a private practice was because I thought it would give me work-life balance. And I think to some degree that is true because I can kind of set my own hours. So when I was in practice, my kids were still in elementary school and we didn't always, I don't live near my family. We don't always have great options for childcare. That's always been an issue for us. And so if my kids had a random Monday off of school, which they always do, I could just block my schedule. And I could just say, I'm not seeing patients that day. And if I need it, and I would use that as my admin day, and I would either do admin from home, or I would bring my kids to the office. I mean, that's the one nice thing too, if you're the boss. I can bring my kids and they would sit in our conference room (laughs) while I was meeting. So I actually felt like having a private practice and me being the boss, um, it definitely allowed more work-life balance. And everybody I worked with happened to be female and were moms. Everybody was mom. And so we all got it. And I definitely think you can have that even in working with males. But I felt like because we were all moms and we all got it, there was always there was always a day not I mean we didn't have kids running through our clinic. I don't want to make it sound like that. <laughs> but if somebody was in a bind and you had to bring your kids to work you guys covered for you each could. other. And I, I was certainly wouldn't be able to do that in any other job I've had in the past. So it sounds like having the support of other co-workers, being able to kind of cover, that helped you have better work-life balance when you're in private practice. But working in the clinical or the uh, educational setting right now, and you're saying more overhead, has that provided more freedom to a certain extent? In some ways, I think... Moreoverhead provided, I, I think definitely we, we did grow. When we grew our square footage and I brought on a partner and we brought on our other sublet providers as well, we did grow. We did become a bigger deal in our community. We were a bigger clinic. We had more offerings. So I definitely think that that helped grew. In hindsight, I don't think we needed quite such a big space because that would have helped our rent be lower. Our rent was definitely our number one cost cost. But you know, when you're your own clinic, we now I was suddenly paying not just rent to rent out a room, but I was paying for the the internet and the phone and the general liability insurance and on the space and all of that kind of stuff. So that's where the overhead also grows. It's not just in the rent for the square footage, but it's all the things that you just need to pay for to have a practice running if you're going to have an actual brick and mortar clinic. Well, let's kind of focus in on what's helped you handle adversity and doubt when you were choosing your career to be a clinical director and lead faculty. Oh, uh uh-huh. How did nursing kind of help you handle any adversity or doubt that you had? 
I do still see clients clinically, but the bulk of my job is through education. And the reason I made that switch, so even when I had my private practice, I was adjunct faculty at Bastyr University, which is a small private health sciences college. And I love teaching. I taught in the midwifery program there. And when I closed my practice, I was no longer teaching there, but I kind of was thinking, what do I want to do? Do I want to go on you know, work in somebody else's clinic, which I have to say, I do think that once you work for yourself, it can be very hard to switch and go back and work for Mm -hmm. somebody else. So that idea was less appealing, to be honest. And I thought, what did I like about my job? Or what did I like about having a private practice or anything? And I kept coming back to education. And it wasn't just when I taught the midwifery students, it was my patient education. Like that was the part I really enjoyed clinically. I loved teaching my clients and empowering them so that they can make better health choices so that they could know as much as me to a certain extent without having to go to school. And I really, that was the part I loved the most. And once I figured that out, I kind of thought, I think that there's a huge I I do think that there's an issue with some of the ways that we're being educated. And I think that lactation specifically, if we had more opportunities for people to become certified, which first you have to go through all this education, then we would have more lactation consultants and everybody would have access to one if they chose to see one and they would get that support that I keep talking about. So that's where I kind of went in that direction. I think that having a private practice has helped me because I don't necessarily, in my program, in in my job now, I don't just think about how can I educate these students, but I also have to think, how can I get students? You know, I have to think from a marketing point of view, how can I get students to want to be in our program? And how can I help get instructors who want to be in our program? So there's a little bit of of marketing on that end. And it is a business. I mean, all educational programs are also a business. And I definitely um, am a part of those conversations in my role. And I think that I would not be as savvy if I hadn't had my private practice. So I love what you just said there. I feel like that is really the overarching idea that because of the process that you went with through your business, now that you're in education, you're still looking at it with a business mindset, even though you're doing something com- kind of completely different, but it's still the same. And somehow you're still seeing the forest through the trees, which is really critical, I think, for new nurses to understand that every experience that you have is actually leading you at all these little experiences and things that you go through end up helping you at whatever you end up at because the experience is always going to end up being useful. Like it doesn't ever go away. It's not like, oh, if you hadn't owned your own business, then you would still be good. Like you're great at your current job because you owned your own business. Oh, and I also think that it, I also think it kind of depends on Again, it's what your goal is. I mean, if your goal is, I just want to be a clinician, I want to clock in, clock out, see my patients, give great care, and then go home, then that's great. There's definitely room for that. We need those types of people. But if you are interested in kind of healthcare with, you know, capital H healthcare, I think the business piece of it is just as, if not more important to focus on than just the clinical piece, because especially in our country, Healthcare is a business. And 
you never know what opportunity. I'll tell you, when I had my private practice, I got a cold call. These two guys were developing this product that was specific to lactation, and they needed a lactation consultant for their partner. It was a startup. And at first I was like, so not interested in a startup. And then they contacted me again. And I was like, okay, I'll listen to you. I ended up working on that startup with those guys for three years. I would have never in a million years dreamed of doing a startup, of creating technology towards breastfeeding success. I mean, it just was never on my radar. But because I had a private practice, they were able to find me. And because I had a private practice, some of their... You know, I'd be in these business meetings with investors, and definitely I was the least experienced of them all in in that realm, in that world, but I got it, and I wouldn't have gotten it if I had only been a clinician working in a hospital or a clinic, because that wasn't what my job entailed. That wasn't what I was exposed to. I I think... To kind of go back to the question, you handled adversity and doubt through going back to your original why. You went back to why you went into nursing. You went back to why you went into taking care of patients. It's what ends up bringing you through any fears or any doubts that you have towards, I can't do it. It's just go back to your why. And I think that's how you've been approaching all the different areas of your business and at your current job in education. And so I'd like to ask, and this is kind of, this is going back towards kind of the start. I remember you mentioning about a mentor, how she took you under your wing when you were kind of a new nurse and she really pushed you towards kind of getting those hours. How have you found mentors as you've gotten, as you've gone through your career in nursing? Because it's one of the things that I think I found to be extremely difficult is to kind of have a nurse take you under your wing, not bully you, not make you feel like, you know, in this like adversarial role, but kind of more like, this is someone I really look up to. Have mm-hmm. you been able to find those along your career again? Or was it just that one isolated time at the beginning of your career? I do. I, I think I agree with you. It can be hard to find a mentor. I I also think that sometimes having anti-mentors is just, I mean, I can think of people in my career who I'm like, oh, she's teaching me what not to do or how not to act. So I've had a few of those, but I think that I'm also somebody, my personality is if I want to know something and I think you have the answer, I will hunt you down and ask you. And I cold call people. (laughs) I introduce myself to people at conferences. I'm the person who is like running across the ballroom because I want to talk to that person. So I'm not afraid to do that. But I do make sure that if I hunt somebody down and I ask them for their time, and I'll, I'll say, you know, I want to do X, Y, and Z. I consider you somebody who knows more than me. I'd love to pick your brain. Can I take you out to coffee? or whatever, I make sure that I have very specific questions I'm prepared to ask them because I have to show them I'm not wasting their time. I have really thought why I'm asking them these questions. I have a genuine curiosity and I've done a little bit of research so that we are having an educated conversation. Again, I just want to make them aware that I'm legit in my asking so that they don't think I'm just, you know, wasting their time, like not taking the situation seriously. I have to show them that I'm serious about it so that they take me serious. That's good. It sounds like you turn everyone into a possible mentor. There's something you can take from anyone. And I kind of feel that same way. I feel like 
there's like, I'm a nurse, you're a nurse, but there's some, there's, there's a niche, there's experiences that you've had that I haven't had. So let me just pick your brain. Let me see what you've been doing. I think most people love to talk. I mean, I, I have only had like one or two people who I can tell kind of maybe see me as competition. And Mm. so they don't really want to talk to me, but I think there's room for all of us in the same regard. If somebody comes to me and says, I'm thinking of going to midwifery school, or I'm thinking of becoming a lactation consultant, can I, I will never say no, because I would do the same. And I can't expect people to say yes to me if I'm not willing to say yes to the next, you know, generation or whatever. I think that that's something we should all be more willing to talk to each other and not necessarily think of each other as competition. Because one of my employees that I hired when I had my private practice, she has a private practice now and I work for her. And we love (laughs) each other. We never think of each other as competition. We think of each other as how can we make this all work better for our clients? So I think that if we kind of get away from that idea, then we're more willing to help each other. It's all going to be better. It's a win-win. I think there's enough room at the table for all of us. And for whatever reason, there's times in nursing that I feel like people have this scarcity mentality and we've got to really start to look and go, there's enough work for all of us. We can, we can calm down. Like we're all going to be able to get what we need done. And if I think if we start to look at it like, and, and not in a scarcity mindset, but in a mindset of there's enough for everyone, you will feel less threatened by people reaching out for mentorship or reaching out for, Hey, can I pick your brain on something? I think it also like puts good karma out into the world. And it's just, you know, it's just good things will come back as you give. And I say that, but I, one of the reasons I closed my practice is because there was more competition. (laughs) So I might sound like I'm, I might sound like I'm completely contradicting myself, but I do, I do. I agree with you. I do think there's room for all of us. Yeah. because I, I know not every client loves me. And so, so I think we've talked a little bit about some of your mistakes, some of your successes, but what would you say would be one of your biggest mistakes that you learned the most from? This might sound unpopular, but I feel like because it's a business and I think that females do this probably more than males in my experience anyway. I was really lax if somebody couldn't pay. Hmm. I was really lax about forcing that issue. And so definitely my partner and I, that was one of the things we did not see eye to eye on. I never wanted to send anybody to collections. And so we would write off a lot of the, the invoices that we had. I mean, not a ton to where, I mean, that's not why we went out of business or anything, but enough to where it, it's probably not the best, that's probably not the best business, business practice, but at sure. the same time, I feel like we should be able to offer healthcare to people regardless of ability to pay. And we just don't live in that, that world yeah. in the United States. Yeah. So that was my own personal conflict, but that I, I, I'm not sure how would you that's have done necessarily a good business practice. How would you have done it differently? Well, I probably would have. I probably would have let my partner be the bad cop. Yeah. (laughs) And do more collections. Unfortunately, I think there's got to be some of that 
in that, like, if you know, that's just not your personality, you just got to get those people around you that are like, I don't care. I'll do it. It's like, okay, go ahead. <laughs> and so she listened to me and I was like, no, we're not doing that. And she listened to me and maybe I should have listened to her instead where she's like, yes, we are doing that. That's good. So for your career right now, what would you say is a goal that you have? You know, I, I know that you so enjoy teaching. What would you say was a goal that you would have five years from now for yourself? planning on retiring or? Honestly, I don't know, but I tend to do my life in around five-year chunks. (laughs) So who knows? I do really love teaching. My current position, I still consider myself fairly new. I've only been there about a year and a half. So potentially I could still be there because I feel like I'm still learning a lot, revamped the whole program. So it's kind of like we're just starting this, this, even though the program has been around for a long time, we have a an all new curriculum we've created, we've added to the program uh, a few things. So I'm eager to see just how that can flourish. Mm. And, but then after this, I don't know, I always have in the back of my mind, another career change, but who knows? Oh, interesting. (laughs) Stay tuned. (laughs) Yeah. I think that, I think there's a lot to do. So staying in one place too long, I feel like I'd be missing out on other things. I've always said in nursing, if I'm not enjoying what I'm doing, there's way too many options to be unhappy. It's time. Yeah. It's time to do something else. So right now, I don't a- necessarily feel uh, a need. I haven't even thought about five years, so that's a good sign. That's a good sign that I'm happy where I am. Yeah. So the last part of this podcast interview is rapid fire questions. So these are just going to be questions that are going to get you to quickly answer, quick ask, I and mean, we'll see how this goes. Okay. okay. So what what was your favorite class in nursing school? Well, anything with women's health. I, I had, I had a, a nursing instructor once who told me in my one-on-one that we would have at the end of each quarter. Uh-huh. She told me, "I get the sense you don't really like sick people very much." And I said, "You're right. That's why I'm going to midwifery school." So anything that had to do with med surge, I was not a fan of, and anything that had to do with women's health, I was like, "Well, this is why I'm here. So give me more." Got it. What's a book that you recommend to nurses? Oh, well, I actually feel like nurses should read a lot of fiction because we are so inundated with reality and clinical thinking. And probably we're reading a lot of, you know, studies and journal articles and going to journal clubs that I think that more time should be spent reading fiction and escape. That's good. When do you when you think of the word successful, who's the first person that comes to your mind? Well, there's a private practice uh, doctor in our area who started the, she has a private practice that's all breastfeeding medicine. And she's where I kind of first learned the term of breastfeeding medicine. People travel from all over to see her. And I I consider her a mentor. Her name is Dr. Marianne O'Hara. I love her. Wow. Gotta look her up. And what is the most useful product or service you bought for your nursing career? Uh, a Mac. MacBook. All right. And <laughs> I was, I, I've had many computers fail on me before I turned to Mac. I agree. They're the best. Do you attend nursing conferences? If so, which ones? Well, with COVID, nobody goes to any conferences. I but know. Before. So in my area, I do attend them in person. I like, I like going to conferences. We have one in the Pacific Northwest. It's called the Pacific Northwest Primary Care Conference. And it's a fabulous conference. It's, it has multiple tracks and there are concurrent sessions during each hour. It's geared towards nurse practitioners. 
So you can say, I'm a pediatric nurse practitioner. Here's my tract. And I can just go to all the PMP sessions. Oh, wow. And it's the same for acute emergency care, uh, gynecology women's health, gerontology. So you can kind of find your tract, but at the same time, you know, I tend to go to the women's health, but if there's something about newborns in the pediatric tract, then I can just head on over to that one. So it's got so much information. I think that's a really good one. And then I tend to also focus a lot on lactation conferences. So ILCA, the International Lactation Consultant Association is our professional organization, and they have a big conference every year. I go to that one. Very cool. I actually think that might be good in the show notes to link some of these so that people can find them. I'll write these down and I'll link them so that people can click on it and check it out. Cause I'm sure they're probably all doing like virtual stuff that may be. Well, now, yeah, definitely. In, I would also say that if somebody is interested in private practice, I encourage you to speak at conferences. So I do speak at conferences and I think that's a really great way to elevate your own career and you know, your presentation skills and your own education, but it's an easy, free way to get people to know who you are and how to find you if they need to refer to you. It's great word of mouth because most of, I will tell you, the other thing I've learned in private practice is that every dollar I spent on marketing was a wasted dollar. Free marketing, because most people find us through word of mouth, So we would, whatever was free was actually better advertising. So we would have the local papers or blogs do stories on our clinic, or we would, I, you know, I would speak at these conferences and get people to know me. That's definitely, so I I would push that, go to conferences, but also speak. That's good advice. Well, thank you so much, Christina, for being on our podcast today and sharing all your pearls of wisdom. I know that so many nurses out there are going to be so thankful to hear your journey and how you got to where you are today and that exposure to kind of your path. I think that's what nurses need more is exposure to how people get to where they are. And so, yes, thank you so much. And thank you. This was fun. We are at the end of our time together. I really enjoyed the chat. Please be sure to subscribe to the show so you don't miss an episode and leave us a review if you like the show. I would love to get five stars. The Dr. Nurse Podcast is on Instagram, so please follow us there for any updates on new podcasts and inspirational information to help you on your own journey. You could always message me at the Dr. Nurse Podcast at gmail.com with any career information or professions that you're interested in hearing about. And as always, thanks for listening. I want to thank my biggest fan supporter on Patreon, Kevin Pryor, for your support of this podcast. If you love this podcast and want to throw some support my way, I would greatly appreciate it. My link is in the show notes. And just a reminder, the information in this podcast is for educational purposes only, and the information should not be used as substitute for professional care by a medical provider. The information in this podcast does not represent medical or other professional advice or services. 